This is the day that the Lord has made. glad to have you here this morning. The two ministry opportunities on our clipboard are to help with our Seneca Street dinners that we do down in Buffalo to help the people of that community and our prayer vigil which we do a 24-hour prayer vigil here. It's an amazing wonderful experience with God and we do recommend it to you. I also wanted to mention that uh, we are having a meeting after the late service, one o'clock in the afternoon. I know it's a gorgeous day, I promise we'll keep it short, but this is for those people who are interested in trying to figure out how to take what we do out there. Bible studies, new church starts, whatever it might be. People will feel a calling from God to go share the Word of God in a special way out in our community. So that's going to be at 1 o'clock, and we do invite you all to that if you're interested in coming. Starting tomorrow, you can bring your junk, I mean your treasures and stuff for the rummage sale. Um, you can bring them here and put them in the back of the sanctuary. The ladies appreciate that. They sell those things, and they give the proceeds to help people uh, in ministry around the world, around our community. They give it all away, so, so keep that in mind. And I did want to mention about the net out there, because some people have asked me, what's that about? The United Methodist Church has decided to wipe out malaria in the world. We've decided that's something we can do. And you might wonder, how can we do that? There's 12 million of us. If everybody does a little part, we believe not only that we can do it, but we're already doing it. We've reduced the amount of malaria in the world, and our goal is in the next three or four years to wipe it off the face of the earth. That's a mission of our church. I think it's a good one, and our kids think so too. So they're going to be bringing mosquitoes to you somehow. I don't know how that works, but they're coming. But they won't bite. I promise they won't bite. <laughs> Let's pray, shall we? Dear God in heaven, pour out your Holy Spirit into this gathering. Help us to experience the wonder of God, to touch the hem of your garment, and experience your power in our worship and in our lives. Focus us on you and bless us this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You're invited, if you're able, to stand as we're going to sing together, Lift High the Cross.
your neighbor with the peace of the spirit we're going to invite the kids to come up and join us frogs come on right up here frogs come on right up here okay any of the kids want to come up and join us just catch them right here. we're gonna catch you guys right here okay all the kids come on up and join us right here if you want to come on up Come on over here, guys. Okay, Frog's going to sing for us, so the rest of the kids are going to be right down here for a minute, okay? There we go. Oh, oh, okay, so we're standing up. <laughs> right over here. <laughs> Herding sheep.
I got a chicken in here. I got a pig in here. And I got a cow in here. How many of you believe I've got a chicken, a cow, and a pig in here? And how many of you think that that's just crazy? Oh, it's not a chicken, it's a duck. <laughs> and a pig. And a cow. Duck looks like a duck. Not a duck? <laughs> wow, you guys are more, more up on your ducks than I am. I can't even get my ducks in a row. Anyways, you know, I said that those animals were in there. I was wrong about the chicken, by the way. I meant a duck. But you know, it seemed impossible, didn't it? Yeah, but I wouldn't tell you there's something in a box that's really not in there. You know, because that would make me a liar, wouldn't it? Yeah. Sometimes we don't understand things, but that doesn't mean they're not true. And God wants it. I didn't lie. I just messed up about the chicken. You're right, though. I did. It was a duck, wasn't it? Yeah, sometimes I mess up. Okay? Now, you know who never messes up? God. And if he says something's true, even if it's hard to understand, it's true. Okay? What are you guys thankful for? You want to share something? Raise your hand, and you can go ahead and share it. My friends and family. My mom and dad. Baby ducks and chickens. My family. My mom and my dad. This church. Friends. Friends and family. My family. My brother. My cousin. All right, everybody. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings in our lives, the animals, the people, the good things, God, this church. Bless us always, Lord, and help us to trust you in all that you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys go out to church school if you'd like to. All the kids are welcome to go out to church school now. You know, just we're, we're what, 12 minutes into the worship, and I have already just had my socks blessed off. The, the kids are just wonderful. What a blessing to be able to be here on this glorious day. What a blessing to gather together and worship in God's presence. Let's continue being blessed and being a blessing as we bring our gifts, tithes, and offerings before the Lord.
Dear Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for this day and for the opportunity to gather together and worship you, to lift up our gifts before you. You are the one who bestowed them on us. You are the one who blesses us, pouring out into our lives. And Lord, we return these gifts to you. We offer them up to you, along with all of the gifts you've given us for ministry and for service in this world. We ask that you would bless them, each and every one, and give us wisdom to know how to best use them for the furtherance of your kingdom. We do desire that many come to salvation in Jesus Christ and that your wonders be done in this church and throughout all the world. Be with us and bless us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. So many blessings we have from the Lord. Amen? God just keeps pouring it out, and, and we're supposed to keep on sending it forth, right? Um, we keep um, all of our folks in our congregation in our prayers, of course, because we want to be ready to do all those things God calls us to do. And we have some folks that we have some rejoicing over because they're healing and they're progressing. But we want to keep um, on continuing to pray for them. Uh, Lorraine Earl is home from the hospital, as is Jan Gertz, who is recovering from back surgery. She's home. Um, Tommy Ryman, little tiny, little teeny Tommy Ryman. Um, Angela and Ian's new baby, and this is Naomi Lasky's great-grandbaby, um, was in the hospital earlier this week. I went up to see him, and he's a tiny little thing. They weren't sure what was going on, but he's home now, and everything is doing, is doing much better. So praise God for that, and let's keep that family in our prayers. Um, and Ron Elman, who usually attends our 815 worship service, um, got a call uh, earlier this week and had to travel to Wisconsin to be with family. His 28-year-old niece, Christy, um, died suddenly in her apartment in California. And so we need to keep that family in our prayers as well. Um, just a sudden and tragic loss. All have needs in our hearts and those people in our lives that we care for, those situations in the world that give us concern. Having those concerns is what calls us to prayer. That's God, the Holy Spirit, prompting us to pray. And so now we go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity and the call on our lives to pray, to pray for those people that we know of in our lives and people in the wider world who are in need. Lord God, we lift up those folks who are sick and infirm, who are recovering from surgeries, who are recovering from illnesses, we pray for those who have ongoing health issues, Lord. We ask in all of these cases that you touch them. Bring your healing power into their lives. That they would be whole in you. From the tops of their heads to their soles of their feet, Lord, and their spirits, their souls, and their bodies, bring healing. Give comfort to each and every one. 
Lord God, we lift up those who are taking care of these folks, those medical professionals and family members and friends and hospice workers and aides and home care workers, all those folks, Lord God. We pray that you give them compassionate hearts, hearts of love and the patience to care for these people. We pray in Jesus' name that you are present with them, that they would know that you're there. Lord God, we pray for those who are grieving losses now. We just ask in Jesus' name that you would touch their hearts and bring peace and comfort, that you would help them to come to terms with what they don't understand. There are so many things in this life, Lord, that we don't understand. Help us to trust you, that you walk with us through each and everything that is hard. You rejoice with us when we rejoice and you cry with us when we cry. Lord God, I pray now in Jesus' name for all of those people who are affected by all kinds of things, um, earthquakes and disasters of all kinds. We just pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that you be with them there, that you send good people to help them, that your presence be evident, and that people are drawn to you and turn to you. We pray for those who don't know you, Lord, and for those who deliver the message of your salvation, of your mercy, of your grace. Lord, we pray that like those people all over the world, bringing the message of salvation to people who have never heard. We ask that you would touch us too, inspire us, give us words. Let our stories of your great love in our lives be something we can share freely and easily so that others will know you too. Help us, Lord. Wash over us as we hear your word today. Let it transform us. Let it strengthen us. Let it give us boldness to speak your word. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name for Pastor Tom as he delivers the message you have given him. Let it be a blessing to him and to us. Lord God, we just pray that all of our worship this morning is pleasing in your sight because we have come to worship and glorify you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we hear from the Word? morning. This morning's scripture is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 4, 
verses 5 through 20. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anus, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of all the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chet. The sermon series that we're in the midst of is talking about how can we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. As we say in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's from the book of Acts, the beginning part of the church, as we're looking at how can we restore the church of God to what it was meant to be. They called them before the ruling Sanhedrin, the committee that runs the nation, and they said, by what power or what name did you do this? By what power? By what name? What is the authority on which you base your decisions, your life? What guides your life? What is the rock on which you decide things? We grew up, many of us, in what would be called the modern age. 
When I went to seminary, I had a professor who said to me, everyone knows that to be a modern person, you must understand that logic and reason are the prime reference. Now what that means is that everything must be logical and that everything must be reasonable. That's the starting point of the argument of a modern person. And I raised my hand in this theology class and said, Professor, I thought God was the prime referent, and if he wanted to be unreasonable or illogical, then he can because he's God. And he said, you're a Neanderthal man, Kraft. <laughs> I, I kind of was proud of that. You see, because in many ways, a lot of the way I look at life is pre-modern, although we live in a culture that's now post-modern, that's actually found that some things that seem to be logical and reasonable aren't. And so we've got quantum physics, and we have things that are hard to explain that work, but we don't know exactly how, and we can't figure it quite out. So we're in a different culture than what we grew up in. In the world that I came up in, a lot of people have thought that science and mathematics and logic are in some kind of war with religion. But they're not. The purpose and the goal of science and mathematics and things of that study is to find the truth. The purpose of religion is to find the truth. We're seeking the same thing. We might argue about things along the way, just like you and I might have a disagreement about how we're going to come to a decision. But once we find out what the truth is, we agree. The difference is the starting point. What is the thing that is most important? Science, logic, reason, mathematics, philosophy, they're all good. They're all good. But the starting point for a Christian is not logic or reason or science or math or whatever we can figure out in our mind. The starting point is God. And so sometimes it looks like we're in an argument. This was a movie that came out a few years ago. When a 12-year-old watches his mother dying of cancer, a guy who would allow that is not worth believing in. Life is really a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Name? Uh, Wheaton. Josh Wheaton. Philosophy 150. You might want to think about a different uh, instructor. Come on, man, it can't be that bad. Think, uh... Roman Colosseum, people cheering for your death. I'm Professor Radisson. This is Philosophy 150. I would like to bypass senseless debate altogether and jump to the conclusion which every sophomore is already aware of. There is no God. All that I require from each of you is that you fill in the papers I've just given you with three little words. God is dead. Mr. Wheaton, is something wrong. I can't do what you want, I'm a Christian. If you cannot bring yourself to admit that God is dead, then you will need to defend the antithesis. Think of Jesus as my friend. You think Jesus is God. I don't want to disappoint him. So your acceptance of this challenge may be the only meaningful exposure to God and Jesus they'll ever have. But to me, he's not dead. I don't want anyone to get talked out of believing in him just because his professor thinks they should. Mr. Wheaton, are you ready? We're going to put God on trial. If you think you're smarter than me, do not try to humiliate me in front of my students. In that classroom, there is a God. I'm him. In that classroom, there is a God, and it is me. And if you've ever gone to college or school, you know that the teacher is always 
Well, they think they are. See, the difficulty is, is that we, we, we are buying into the concept that if somehow, in some way, someone can prove to a philosophy professor that God doesn't exist, God stops existing. Actually, that doesn't even make the philosophy professor God, it makes you, you God. We have this idea that if somehow we've decided God doesn't exist, God stops existing. Do you remember years ago there was a movie, it was a Peter Pan movie, I think, and, and poor Tinkerbell was fading out of existence. And they looked out at the screen and they said, all you children out there have to believe in fairies or Tinkerbell will go away. Oh, I do believe in fairies. I do, I do. I believe in fairies. And Tinkerbell came back to life. Do you really think that if you believe in God, God will exist? And if you don't, God will stop existing? The Bible actually says only a fool says in their heart there is no God. Do we want to be in discussions and arguments with fools? That just makes us foolish. God doesn't exist or stop existing or, or be who he is or who he isn't based on what we think. In fact, God finds this whole argument kind of a joke, kind of a, a silly thing, kind of foolishness. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians. He says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one might boast before him. So that we'd all know that he's God. What do we make the starting point of our lives, of our beliefs, of what we do, of what we're going to live towards? What voice do we listen to? These were important leaders. They were standing before people who had crucified Jesus just a few weeks earlier. These men held their lives in their hands. They acknowledged them and showed proper respect, which the Bible says we should respect leaders. But they reminded them that the scripture said that the very stone that the builders rejected had become the capstone. Or in other words, what they said is sometimes leaders are wrong. That, that's kind of frustrating, isn't it? I'm going to tell you something that some of you will find affirming and some of you will find very troubling. If you come to this church long enough, I can promise you, maybe even today, I will be wrong. It will happen. I misquoted a song in the last sermon and I was pointed out that I was wrong. I was wrong. I make mistakes. Sometimes I don't get things the right way. How many of you have ever made a mistake? So we're all in the same club, right? Okay? Even leaders make mistakes. I don't try to. It's not my goal. And I'm not apologizing in advance for something I've done wrong or something. I'm simply saying it happens. And it's the beginning of wisdom to understand humility that, you know, we don't have it all together. What impresses you? Who impresses you? Who do you listen to? Do we listen to any other voice than God? What impresses us about people? They looked at these guys. They said, these guys are uneducated fishermen. What are we be listening to them for? They don't know anything. Every once in a while, I remember who I am when I'm up here preaching. I'm a kid from Chittawaga, all right? Before I was a pastor, I was a truck driver. I don't know how many of you know that. I grew up in a household where my father was a Buffalo firefighter. His was the, he was the first one to graduate high school in his generation. We were the first ones to go to college. Sometimes I remember where I came from and who I am. Now, I have other pedigrees. We could talk about that another day. But that's not the point. The point is, what makes us who we are? Why do we listen to people? Why are people important? I could while away the hours consulting with the flowers. 
conferring with the rain. Right? I went, to, <laughs> I went to the Wizard of Oz the other day. Do you know, do you know, do you know what the wizard had a problem with? Or, I mean, not the wizard, the scarecrow. You know what his problem was? If I only had a brain. Yeah, a scarecrow didn't have a brain. Or at least he didn't think he did. So do you know what the wizard did? He said, there's many people in the world that think that they're smart. And they're no smarter than you, Scarecrow. But they think they're smart because they have a diploma. And so he gave the Scarecrow a diploma, and all of a sudden, the Scarecrow was brilliant. I have diplomas. I've got degrees. I've been to school. I, I even have a Master's of Divinity degree. If you can imagine, anybody would have the audacity to claim that they're a Master of Divinity. Not me. All right? But I have that degree. Right? Which simply means I studied some stuff. But do I really know more than somebody who's inspired by the wisdom and power and revelation of God? We have to be very careful who we think is important. They came before this group of people because they had done a healing. There was a fellow who was a beggar and he was sitting by the side of the road and he was lame. And he looked to Peter and John for a handout and Peter looked at him and said, I don't have any silver and gold. But I can say to you, take up your mat and walk. And the man got up and walked. And so these people were, were in an uproar. I mean, the whole city was turned upside down. I mean, it was bad enough they had Jesus going around and doing miracles. But when regular fishermen type people stop do, start doing miracles, we got a problem. When just regular folks think that they have the power of God to change things and do miraculous things, we got to put a stop to that. That's what these people are saying, you follow. What do we listen to? There's rules. There's religion. There's the Bible. There's our government. There's the Constitution. Those are all good things. They help guide us. But they're not God. They're not God. They're not God. Even this book is not God. Constitution is a piece of paper. I wonder how many people would listen to the Constitution compared to the Bible. And how many times we might find ourselves doing that. You know the Constitution was written by some people a couple hundred years ago that are not as smart as any of you. Really. They didn't have Google. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have near as much opportunity for wisdom and knowledge as you have. You've read more in your lifetime than they could ever have dreamed of reading. You have more wisdom and knowledge and experience than they ever possibly could have had. And yet we're letting people from 200 years ago tell us what to do today. Think about it. All right? And I'm not saying they were bad people. And I'm not saying what they said wasn't wise. I'm saying that the difficulty is, is sometimes, sometimes we don't understand that ultimately we serve a living God. In the book of Timothy, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, which is true. The scripture is breathed by the power of God. The Holy Spirit was in the people that wrote this book. But, but it's understood differently by different people. Do you really believe that if you lived right now in Nigeria, and you just saw your children and your family brutalized and killed by people because of their faith in God, that you would look at the judgment day of God the same as you do living in our world, in our comfortable life. 
When we go through tragedies, we see our faith differently than when we don't. Our experiences of our lives from different cultures and different attitudes and different histories help us to see and understand this book more clearly. The Bible is an anthology, not a textbook. An anthology is a book of stories. This is a a book about the people's relationship with God and their attempt to understand God through the power of the Holy Spirit as they recorded for us so that we could see how people over thousands of years try to figure out their faith in God. It's not a textbook. And if it were, we'd probably think it's worth more. How many of you bought a textbook in your life? Holy cats. $400 by some rag that the professor wrote and made you buy. Really? Seriously? But we think it's worth a fortune because it's a textbook that tells us what's true until the next edition comes out, which corrects all the problems in the first one, right? And so on and so forth. The Bible's not a textbook. It's not meant to be used that way. In fact, if we live to the rules of the people who make textbooks, we've already lost the battle. Our problem is, is too often we're living to the rules of the wrong game. How many of you have ever played a game? And as you're playing the game, and you start to win, and somebody tells you that there's a rule you didn't know. Have you ever had that happen? Don't you hate that when that happens, right? Or could you imagine that you start playing Monopoly, and you're going through through Monopoly, and all of a sudden somebody starts using rules that are from a different game, you know? Like Scrabble. So now you've got to use Scrabble rules to, to work with Monopoly, and you're going, this doesn't work. It doesn't fit together. That's what we try to do as Christians. We try to live into rules in a game that's a whole different game. And if we live to the wrong rules, we've lost already. We need to play to the, to the game that God has designed, not the game that the world and our culture around us designs. God first. Everything else comes beneath it. That's so hard for us to understand because we can't get our human minds around it. We don't believe God can do it, but the truth is God is greater than your mind. I know that's that's a blow to your ego, but it's true. And just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it can be true. These religious leaders, think about it, they are defending the faith of God against the Holy Spirit of God. They are defending the faith, the religion of God against the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know that the rules change? I I know that's troubling. But the rules change. They do. Because our culture changes and the reason for the rules change. We have a rule in our church that says you can't gamble in our church and you can't drink alcoholic beverages in our church. We live by it. We abide by it. It was made a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, when our culture had a real problem with alcoholic drinking and gambling that was destroying the people's lives and their families and everything else. So we made a rule for it because we're trying to help our culture and our society. Now it's a goofy rule because I know all of you think nothing about going out and gambling or drinking as soon as you get out the doors of the church. But we don't do it here. It's a rule. Why? It's what we call an anachronism. It's out of history. It's out of time. Things happen like that. Things change. That same seminary professor said something very profound to me once. He said, some things change. Some things remain the same. 
Which are which and why? It's the whole point of what we do when we look at our faith. Things change. And the difficulty is, is that if we don't change, even the good things will become bad things. I preached a sermon once called Staying One Step Ahead of the Devil. If you look at life, what you'll find out is the good things, if we leave them alone, will become corrupt. We can make a beautiful home and, and trim it out all perfectly in every way, and if we don't do anything to it, it'll rot, it'll destroy, it'll be decayed. We have to keep at it. We make a rule for one age that doesn't make sense in another age. We take the cars off of Main Street in Buffalo in one decade, and a couple decades later, we spend millions of dollars putting them back on the streets, right? Am I right? And the answers and solutions to the problems of 30 years ago create problems today. That doesn't mean those people were bad then. It means that the stuff from years ago doesn't necessarily apply to today. You know, we've got this idea that people should retire when they're 65. Do you know where that age came from? Anybody know? A man named Bismarck. Bismarck lived over 100 years ago. Over 100 years ago. And what, and what he said is, if you reach 65, the government should take care of you. You should get pensions. You should not have to work anymore. Do you know what the normal lifespan of a person was in Bismarck's time? 50 years of age. So what they were saying is if you live 15 years past the normal lifespan, you should get taken care of by the government, which means you shouldn't get a check till you're 95. Think about it. Life's changed, right? So the rules we apply in this world, in this culture, in this situation, may not fit this situation. And if we try to hold on to them, if we try to defend them, if we try to make them into something that are, is actually supposedly representing God when it's just something for us in that culture, we might find ourselves arguing against God himself, like these people were doing. We've had changes in the Bible. In the Bible, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That made a lot of sense, and people should have a lot of babies when there's a couple million humans on the earth. We've got eight billion. I think we got enough. Don't you? Really? I'm not saying you shouldn't have a baby, but I mean, really, we don't need to fill it up with 15 billion. It's changed. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth made a lot of sense in a group that were wandering around in the desert without jails and prisons. They had to protect the people from bullies. So you hurt somebody, we'll hurt you. But that doesn't make sense when you can lock people up and keep them safe, or you can make other rules. And Jesus said, do unto others instead, as I have done unto, as you would have others do unto you. And I told you the platinum rule last week, do unto others as you would have God do unto you, which takes it to another level. Life changes. We couldn't eat pork in the early days of the Bible. Do you know why? They didn't have any refrigerators, they didn't know how to process it, they didn't know what to do with it. And it was a dangerous food to eat, so God says, don't touch that stuff. Later on in the Bible, God says, it's okay, you can have one. Go ahead, have a bacon sandwich, it's all right. Okay? Does that mean that, like, therefore, there's no real rules, nothing stay? Of course, some things stay the same. Adultery still destroys families and marriages and rips them apart. Coveting is still the basis of some of our problems as a culture and a society that we, we want, we want, we want more than what we need. It still isn't helpful when we lie 
or we steal. And certainly, it's still true that we shouldn't have any other gods before us. Some things stay the same. The key is to be connected to God. In, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 20, it says the kingdom of God is like a vineyard. That's why we have vines on the gates today. And there will be vines in heaven, according to what it says in the Bible. But the point of the vines is more for us right now. The kingdom of God is like a vine. This is the way John put it. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so there will be even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. If we stay connected to God, we stay connected to the source of all wisdom, the source of all power, and the source of salvation. In verse 12 of this passage, it says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We're only saved by our belief in God. Nothing else can save us. We try to come up with things to save us. Science can make your life live longer, by the way. It's added 30 years to our life. But it doesn't keep us here forever. None of us live forever. The only way we gain eternal life is through God. And you, you know what happens? The longer we live, we find new diseases, don't we? To get, to get sick and die from. Now we might say God is cruel in that. You, you know... God doesn't want you to stay here. You know that? God thinks it would be cruel to leave you in this reality forever with all our suffering, our sorrows, our pains, our struggles, our difficulties. He wants to eliminate that and create for us a better world for eternity. Living here forever would be torture. Really? God intends something better. And all the knowledge we can come up with will only prolong our life. It doesn't give us eternal life. The name of Jesus, they said, is the power from which this comes from. Remaining in God. That passage in chapter 15 continues about the vine. It says this. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And people will say to me, well, Pastor Tom, people have done some amazing things who don't believe in God. Nothing that matters to God. All the accomplishments that we accomplish are nothing compared to a God that can hang the stars in the universe. We, we give authority to the wrong people, to the wrong things, and we lose before we begin because we're playing the wrong game. We're playing to the wrong rules. We listen to the law, our leaders, our bosses first, or God first. It's not wrong. These aren't bad things. But, but, but the first thing has to be God before anything else. In verse 19, they're standing before him, and they said, you've got to stop talking about this Jesus guy. And Peter says, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You'll be the judge. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We can't help be witnesses to the amazing God of the universe. 
The Bible is not a textbook. It's not a manual. It's a, a story, anthology of the amazing interaction of God and the faith experience of the people. The real witness of the Bible is with others. When we gather together to understand the truth, you see it one way, I see it another way, they see it somewhere else. They bring in a different concept, a different perspective, and together we start to see the patterns, the eternal truth. That's why we study the Bible. You can't prove God through the Bible. People who don't believe in God don't believe in the Bible. Hello? The Bible is for us to help us walk through the journey together so that we can bear fruit, bringing the word of God to the world. Let's hear what our mission is. Sean Mahalski. I'm part of a Bible study at work. We meet on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have approximately 10 to 15 normal members. We have a prayer vigil on Mondays for 30 minutes. We also do our study on Wednesday and a recap of our Wednesday study on Fridays. During part of our prayer vigil, we usually take prayer requests. Often we see prayers come in and often answered you know, later on down the road. The, the Lord works in mysterious ways and uh, we've seen the wonder of, of the Lord's ways. It's very encouraging to be able to praise the Lord not only on Sundays at church, but also to be able to praise the Lord during the workday. can't talk about God at work. <laughs> Sean found a way to do it. You know, if we start with God, we can do amazing things. God doesn't call us to prove anything. We don't study the Bible because we have to prove God. You don't have to prove God. God is God. Our, our calling is to witness to God, to witness to the power and the wonder of God. Being a witness to God's Holy Spirit, it said that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And as they were being questioned, God gave them the answers. Did you know God would do that? I've had God give me answers to questions people ask of me. And I go, where did that come from? God will speak into your heart and into your life the wisdom you need to know if you turn to God. We turn to everything but. And then wonder why we don't see the power of God. Even in Isaiah, the Old Testament, it says, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. <laughs> when you're trying to figure out which way you ought to go in life, listen to the voice that God has given to you. He won't send you on the wrong path. God speaks to us. Do we witness to the power of God to speak into our hearts and, and show us the way we're supposed to be? Staying connected to the vine of God. Do we witness to the change God makes in lives? The fruitfulness of the vine. 
You know, there was a discussion about this very story years ago. They were standing in one of these magnificent churches. You know, the ones where they have gold on everything and stained glass and all kinds of wealth and power demonstrated. And the one man turned to the other and looking at this magnificent building said, no longer can anyone say about the church, we don't have any silver and gold. And the other one said, that's true. But the church no longer can say, take up your mat and walk. Because if we don't do what God wants, God takes the power away. We are his vineyard. God is working through us. But if we don't follow God and we are not fruitful for God, well, let's read Isaiah about the vine. This is what he says. My love, loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only junk. Now, you dwellers of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have, I have been, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good groups, why did it only yield garbage? Now, I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. If we aren't going to live to be fruitful for God, why would we think God will bless us? In my backyard, I had a grapevine. It was a nuisance. I'd see it in the trees, I'd see it in the bushes, I'd cut it off, I'd cut it here, I'd cut it there. Finally, I got tired of this. So I went and followed it until I was way back under the bushes and I found a trunk this big. I got my chainsaw. Cut that baby off. I saw stuff dying all over my yard. That vine was huge. It was everywhere. It had gotten into everything. But you know what it didn't have? Not one single great. All it was about was destruction and showing off its glory to the world. If we live as people or we live as a church only to destroying others and other things and only to our own glory, what do you think God's going to do to us? Why would God offer us blessings when we offer God junk? We need to be a church that does astonishing things. They were astonished because people's lives were changed. The proof of God is not in, in, in the scientific theories. The proof of God is not even in quoting scriptures or logical proofs. The proof of God is in seeing God transform and change the lives of people. Amen? Seeing the, the, the people who are broken in their, in their relationships, broken in their souls, in their hearts, in their minds, and even their bodies, miraculously healed. And God does that. I've seen it. I've seen God do wonders and signs and amazing things. And I know God will do more if we live, if we breathe, if we stay connected to God. The power of the church is in the notable signs like they're saying here. And they're saying, how can we deny this? We need to be a witness to the amazing power of God. And we need to be a witness to the courage and the integrity that comes from having a God. They had courage. And it's just because they had the Holy Spirit power of God within them. 
In John chapter 14, it, it refers to the Holy Spirit. It calls him the counselor. Some people think that means somebody who comes and goes, oh, let me talk to you. Now, that's not the kind of counselor we're talking about. We're talking about a counselor like Sue is for, for, in her day job. A, a, a defense counselor. Someone will go into the courtroom and stand up with you and take on the adversary. That's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is not, oh, you poor baby. The Holy Spirit is, come on, let's go take it. It's out. The Holy Spirit is there to defend you, to be with you, to take it into the world with you. Culture will try to stop God. But just like these people, they couldn't stop God. When we're confronted with a God that we can't understand, we can't explain, we can't figure out, but a God that's doing amazing things, do we deny it? Do we, do we explain it away? Do we argue with it? Or do we fall to our knees and worship that God? After this, it says the believers went and gathered together. They prayed to God in boldness. And it says the Holy Spirit came upon them and shook them. Shook them up. We need God to come and shake us up. The, the truth is, I know we have things in our lives that aren't working, that aren't going the way we want, that don't feel blessed, that don't feel like they're going on the right path, that don't feel like we're heading the way we should. We got things in our life we need to shake up, amen? And if we shake them up with the power of the Holy Spirit, then we will see the, the wonder of God, how great God is, what God can do for you, for me. For his vine, for the world.
You know, I have a confession to make to you. Sometimes when I come into worship to preach, I really am concerned about what you think. I really am wondering about what you're going to say when you walk out. Will you be impressed with what I said? Will you feel moved and excited? Will you walk out of here going, wow, I, that was a great sermon? I've got to confess that I worry about what you think way too often. Because when I preach, I know the only one I should be caring about is one person. And that's God. When we sing, we're worried about what the people around us are going to say. That's weird. That's crazy. Man, dude, they're, they're, they're racking like the sheep, you know? <laughs> We worry about what everybody else is going to think. We worry about all this stuff from people who really aren't going to matter on Judgment Day. And we forget about the one that will make the difference. We've got we to take that to God and all that we do and all that we are. So let's pray. Dear God in heaven, sometimes I do the wrong thing. Sometimes I do the right thing. Sometimes I'm just plain confused. Forgive me, Lord. Take away the confusion. Give me your wisdom. Your revelation. Forgive my sin. Put your Holy Spirit alive in me. Turn loose the miracles. Change my world. That I might be blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God has amazing things still waiting. He's intended them. He's planning them. He's just waiting for us to turn to them. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. So
The Lord invites us to his table to come and share with him, to come and be filled anew with all we need to do what God has called us to do. God will meet you here. You are welcome. You're invited. If you love God, earnestly repent of your sin and seek to live in peace as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to come to the table and receive all that God has for you, all that God wants to pour out into your life. You don't have to be a member of the church. It can be your first time coming here. And if you come seeking God and all that God has for you, you are welcome to come to the table. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey, and set before us the way of life. So with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. By your great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of your Son from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Once we were no people, but now we are your people, declaring your wonderful deeds in Christ, who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he gave thanks to you. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup and gave you thanks and praise, and he gave it to his disciples. He said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice, in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. 
Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Shall we pray together the prayer, Jesus? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Will those who are serving please come forward? Grapes to be squeezed into the chalice. We all share in the fruit of the same vine. We're all part of the same power of God. When you come to the table, you come to God. You're all welcome. To the table, the rail for prayers for healing, light a candle, come and join us with God.
sing our last song, I just want to say thank you for being here, Fairweather Christians. You know, it, it, it isn't the mark of a true Christian that they show up in a storm or a blizzard or the rain. There's nothing else to do that day. But on a beautiful sunny day when all of you come to church, wow, that's impressive. Thank you for being here. Lifts my spirit today. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. We're going to sing together. I love to tell the story. I've talked a bit about the decline of the church and the struggle that the church is going through universally. I don't want you to misunderstand that discussion. You know, God himself may be pruning back the church. It's possible that God is working on the brokenness and the, and the, and the dysfunction that we need to fix. I do believe God is working on the church, but you know what happens when you prune back a vine and, and you, you take off all the dead and broken pieces? Amazing growth. Mere miraculous signs and wonders break out. Whenever the church has been pruned back, the vineyard of God has been pulled back. After that, that's when the wonders start pouring out. I got to tell you, folks, we are headed for one of the most amazing times in the history of humanity when God is going to pour out the signs, the wonders, the blessings in ways you have never seen. Don't you want to be a part of it? Don't you want to live into it? Don't you want to be a vessel for God to make it happen? Go out and make God first. Pray for his guidance and let the Holy Spirit transform you into grapes. Go in his peace, his power and his wonder. Amen. Amen.